0: back to the CSP Bears podcast. Great to be here this morning. I am Andrew Shotwell, uh, former baseball player for Concordia alongside my uh, partner Alex Laporte, uh, current uh, coach, or coach at Concordia uh, on the baseball staff and former player as well. And uh, we're looking forward to diving in today to our, uh, our guest, which we will get into uh, in a minute. But uh, some quick basketball news uh, we're excited to announce the the season opener will be uh January 2nd uh the the men and women will be taking on Crookston uh and they're you know they're they're getting their work in in the gym now uh safely uh so they're looking forward to finally being able to kick off the season here uh
1: in about 3 weeks or so Yeah, even though there might not be uh, fans in the Gangelhoff Center this year, I'm sure they will still be making loud noises on the basketball court, uh, getting things done. Um, It was fun talking with uh, Coach Fletcher, uh, what, a couple weeks ago? Yep. I believe it was, and it seems like uh, he's got some exciting offense that he's going to be bringing to the team, and um, looking forward to to seeing the noise they make. Absolutely. And
0: I know uh, it is finals week on campus, so uh, people are going to be, Starting to go home here for uh, the holidays, um, which will be a weird transition, I'm sure, from the dorm style and, and you know, not having a ton of freedom to, to going home. But uh, best of luck in finals, everyone, uh, and, and looking forward.
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm sure they're, they're looking forward to the holidays. It's, uh, it's a, been a stressful couple weeks, I'm sure, uh, for the students and the student-athletes here on campus. And um, like you said, good luck to everyone. And uh, wrap it up the right way. Awesome.
0: Well, without further ado, we'll introduce today's uh, featured podcast guest. Uh, he's been at Concordia for a while. We've had the opportunity to work with him as, as student athletes, uh, and also uh, in his sat in his classroom. Uh, Ted Trezinka, our, the the head athletic trainer at Concordia, uh,
2: welcome aboard, Ted. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here
1: yeah it's uh we're excited to dive into it we obviously um were students in your classroom uh you were the trainer for us here when we were playing playing baseball i know you worked with all sports you're also specifically work for certain ones but you kind of oversee all of them here at concordia um but before we get into all of what you do here we just want to get a little background on you know where did you grow up um where did you go to
2: school or whatever it may be sure sure again thanks for for inviting me um you know I grew up in small town, North Dakota. Um, It's a town of about a 1,000 people, New England, North Dakota. So um, on your trips to Mary that you've made many times, um, you go another 90 miles further west towards the Montana border. So small town, um, great place to grow up, Um, really good um, teams. It was on a state championship football team. Um, It was... uh, um, an environment that really encouraged athletics. It had a really strong school system. I had a a great science department, so I was able to merge um, my love of sports, um, get a great education, um, really be involved in everything that I wanted to be involved in. I wasn't the star high school player, but I was on every team, played football, played basketball, you know, did all those things, summer baseball a little bit, and um, really enjoyed that atmosphere of just kind of it almost was a throwback even though I grew up in the um, 70s and 80s there, it almost felt like it was um, longer ago, you know, just right. freedom and doing whatever you want. So it was a great place. Play basketball m- primarily was my main love growing up. Um, and really, it was kind of a fun place to be because you had a lot of freedom, kind of make a lot of choices. Um, a lot different than the kids today where, you know, it seems like everything's structured and everything is is involved with social media and all. is the exact opposite. I could be out of touch with my parents for, you know, um, days at a time, it seemed like, and, and, and really had a lot of freedom and, and really enjoyed that. After that, I went to University of North Dakota. Um, at University of North Dakota, I got my degree in athletic training, worked with a lot of different sports there, baseball, swimming, wrestling, football, um, hockey, got a lot of experience working with the athletes while getting my athletic training degree. Um, University of North Dakota has a pretty unique situation where their athletic training department's actually housed in the medical school. So that was pretty unique where a lot of my classes were taught by doctors and got to do a lot of, of unique things um, um, there. Uh, did an internship at the University of Minnesota um, while I was there. So worked with the Gophers for a summer. Um, working. That was back when their, their athletic departments were split, so worked with the men's department. Um, worked with wrestling, worked with, again, hockey, basketball, football, did all their summer training, um, took care of injuries. Um, After that, I got a graduate assistantship at Kansas State University. Um, Again, that's where I really, after I finished my degree, got my certification as an athletic trainer, really got to dive into the profession, really got to learn a lot about what athletic training is really about, especially at a high level in the Big 12. We were very successful. I worked with the football team there. You know, we lost – um, three games in two years, won um, Big Twelve championships, all those type of things. Um, yeah, you, were, you were there at a at a hot time for K State football. Yeah, yeah. If you know, you know, it was Bill Snyder's the prime of his career. Michael Bishop. You know, I mean, it was. You know, we had Heisman Trophy stuff. We were rated number one in the country for almost a month that year. I mean, just really saw some great things. We beat Donovan McNabb in the Fiesta Bowl. Beat Syracuse that year. Um, you know, the next year we lost to Drew Brees in the Alamo Bowl. I mean, some really, really high-level, high-level athletics. And along with that high-level athletics, really high-level sports medicine. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that when, obviously, if you are competing at that high level and number one in the country and, you know, and pushing Nebraska and pushing Texas A&M and, you know, really trying to do everything you can to keep everybody healthy, everyone on the field and, and it's 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 really fun it's a great learning environment and I was put into position where my mentors there um Jim Whalen, who's now the head of trainer for the Patriots, um really showed me a lot about how you handle yourself, what you do, how you take care of situations, how you treat the athlete um well, but you obviously are competitive and and do everything with you know at, at the highest level possible so it was a great experience at Kansas State um I got my degree there they paid for my graduate degree. Um, I did get to go over and help out with track a little bit in my last semester there after the second year of football was finished. Um, and then after that, I came to Concordia, you know, it was kind of a unique situation where I was great, right out of grad school. Um, Concordia was making that transition from, um, NAIA to division two, making that big jump. And it just so happened that I, I fell into a great situation, um, a guy named Swanee, I don't even can't even tell you what his real name is, but he worked for <laughs> Novacare. He was a classic, uh, a longtime football coach in in the Twin Cities. He know he knew Dan O'Brien. Um, I got to know those guys through interview process, and it just kind of you know one person introduced me to another person. They liked my background that I had worked Division two. That's when University of North Dakota was Division two, and I had worked a lot of ex- had a lot of experience with working with those programs and traveling around the North Central Conference and also playing a, little, a few NSIC schools at the time. Um, so they liked that experience. They liked the fact that I had um, experience at the Division One level and that I wanted to be in Minnesota, So, um, and that I wanted to teach and do all those things. So it kind of fit all the things I was looking for, which is pretty unique being your first real big job opportunity out of grad school right. to find that spot right away. Was it, was it
1: overwhelming when you first got to Kansas State and you worked for this big powerhouse football team
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's really unique because the doctors are involved in a different level. Um, you know, every injury that you see, the doctors kind of see as well. So you worry that your skills as an athletic trainer aren't utilized sometimes, but then you find other ways to make yourself useful. You, you know, get better at management, you get better at player relations, you get better at your rehab, things like that. So maybe you're not evaluating as many things. Um, you know, it, it it is unique, obviously, to get off the bus on the tarmac, get right on a charter plane, fly to where you're going to be, have everything set up for you, all those things. That is a little bit unique and a little bit overwhelming to, you know, I still remember the first time I w- was at a game at Nebraska. Um, we got killed. That was our <laughs> one, one loss my first year there. Um, Amon Green had like four touchdowns. I don't know. He killed us. But, um, We're walking down the tunnel to go onto the field, and you're at the Sea of Red in Lincoln, Nebraska, and the whole crowd is 100% quiet, and on their jumbotrons, they have Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz holding her little dog going, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, Toto, And and then they tell you to go, and the whole crowd is just on you from the start to finish, and that game didn't go well, but that was the only game we lost the first year I was there, so that was... A, a, an experience to go into Nebraska and yeah, we beat them the next year. So we got them back. There so you go.
1: It's, it's definitely not a warm welcome to Lincoln. No, no. And uh, I do have by to, means.
2: if coach Gary was still around, I would rub that in that, you know, yes, I was there when K state beat Nebraska. Cause he did not like that very much. So. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, and the next question
1: I have for you is you obviously have worked at a high level division one and obviously in the NSIC as well. What's the biggest difference between being a division one athletic trainer versus a division two athletic trainer? If there is that big of a difference at all.
2: Well, you know, you know, the athletes are different but the same, but the quality of the of the person is is, is what I really enjoy at the division two level. I mean not that the quality of a division one athlete is bad or anything like that, but you just get to know them on a different level. But I'd say the biggest thing is you get to work with multiple sports. You know, when I first started here, I was the athletic trainer. I was the only one athletic trainer with all of our sports. So I would go in a typical day from working volleyball, track, football back to basketball, back, you know, I would be bouncing back and forth all over the place. Obviously, you had to prioritize your time and go to the sports that had the most injuries or the highest risk or the most liability. So yes, I did spend a little bit more time with football than I did, let's say, with track or things like that. But being the only athletic trainer, you saw all of the injuries. So that was a big difference. Um, my staff has grown over the years, so that has changed a little bit. But it's still kind of the same as, you know, you get to know all of the coaches, all of those things. Whereas at a Division One level, you're kind of in... I know everyone's using the word bubble this, this year, right, but you right. are in a bubble with the team you're working with, and you're focused on those athletes. And in fact, like my first year at Kansas State, I was just defense. I didn't even really, Come on. I didn't even really work with, with, with a lot of the offensive athletes that much. My job was defense. And so, you know, when defense was on the field, I was right there waiting to go on the field. thing. And when defense was off the field and offense on the field, I wasn't even watching the game. I was working the bench just constantly. If you watch a Division One game and how we had a system where we shuffled back and forth and rotated so that I really wasn't even watching. And pretty much, unless the school, thank goodness for, for jumbotrons and replay, if there was a big play that happened on offense, I usually watched it after the fact. In fact, lots of times I would have my wife record, back old, good old VHS, I would have her record the games because I wouldn't even know really what happened in a lot of the games. You know, because I was too busy working when the defense was, you know, because you're pushing water, you do, especially in the Big 12, especially the further south you get heat and IVs and all of those things. And that's a lot of what I was in charge of, was making sure those defensive guys stayed healthy throughout. If someone cramped up, it was kind of a shot against you. If something happened, it was something that, you know, people looked at you. Why did that happen? Right. What what could you do differently? How would you handle this differently? So there was a lot of of that going on. But um, Division two level and Division one level, I think that – you know the quality of athlete is there in both of them i mean obviously i know at division 2 sometimes we find we try to find that gem that individual that d1 overlooked or missed or that got you know wasn't quite developed or something a little too short or a little too slow but they actually do have that heart of a d1 athlete or they could be a d1 athlete if put into the right situation you know so you know i don't like to really com- focus too much on the difference between them right um I know that I'm a better fit I like the division two atmosphere I do like the ability to be able to teach as well along with being an athletic trainer because I really like to get to know all the students not just the student athletes I do like to be part of the feel of the campus um I like that I do like the small campus atmosphere a little bit better than I like the massive you know both my other universities were big you know 20,000 people things like that you would see people every day and not know them um, I do like that fact that you get to know somebody a little bit better during their time on campus. So I don't like to focus on the differences too much. But, you know, obviously there is. There's the money and there's the hype and there's right. the fans and there's the gear and there's all those things. And some people, that's really important. They they come to a, the Gengelhof and they see 2,000 people or 1,200 people and they're turned off by that right away and they think that, well, this isn't a real athletic experience, and I'm like, well, you need to watch the quality of the basketball, or watch the coaching, or watch the strategy, or there's a lot of different things you can watch. You know, that 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 really will will get you to buy into Division two athletics.
0: All right. Absolutely. Yeah. So at the end of the day, Kansas State football or University of North Dakota hockey, which alma mater would you rather see
2: win a national championship? <laughs> Well, since <laughs> since UND's won eight, and and, and K State ha- has won zero in football. In fact, K State's struggling this year. They just got shellacked this week. But, um, I would like to see K State football win that. I think that would just be that would be great for that town. The town of Manhattan is a really unique place. It's small. It's like a Mankato with a Division One school, like an Ames, you know. And right. and it's it's a really um, fun environment for game day for the, the everyone every you go into mcdonald's and there's purple wallpaper on the i mean it's it's very much bought into that place not that und hockey is is you know not an important part of of that culture up there because it is if you've been to a und hockey game especially um you know back in the day the wcha days oh you know i mean it's i've worked some benches of some games you know where the dead gophers get thrown on the ice and you go shovel them off and things like that and the student managers go throw them right back outside where the students can find them real quick and bring them right back in and (laughs) throw them back on the ice again. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty unique environment too. You know, that, that was a fun place. But when I was there, I didn't have as a direct impact or role with hockey. I was more of a, you know, I would help out. I didn't have that, that, that great um, relationship with those hockey players. And when I was there, hockey was a little bit different. Yes. they had won national championships and things like that, but it was the old Ingolstead arena. It was, you know a little bit more gritty a little bit you know um different right, so right. but it was still a great great athletics you know at UND I had um, experiences great football was great division 2 when I was there women's basketball was winning um men's basketball was just finishing up being an a uh, a uh, uh, an elite 8 team and you know sw- everybody was was really successful up there and I think that's why they made that transition from division 2 to division 1 along with NDSU and SDSU and USD is you know, they had a lot of success in the Division Two level at all, you know, and so all of their programs. So they made that transition. So,
1: Very cool. And, I mean, uh, who would you say, or I, I should say, because, you know, Andrew's a big North Dakota hockey guy too. Yep, yep, you guys, yep, I'm sure, have had yep. plenty of talks about
2: that growing up. Were, were you Were you sad when Hackstall left? Um, you know, I like the fact that UND seems to reload at coach pretty well. I like that. I mean, it's interesting to see the different styles. Obviously, um, play. I don't watch as much anymore that they're NCHC as I did when they were WCHA. I do have to admit that. Um, I don't like Hacksaw. I liked. I like Blaze. I was there. You know, I, I liked all those guys, you know. Um, so I liked... I just like that program. You know, they seem to do things the right way. I guess if they do, every every program probably has their baggage that you don't hear about and things like that. And they do a good job up there, of probably keeping everything in house if there's problems and things like that. But boy, they seem to put a lot of guys in the in the league, and they win a lot of games. And fun fun brand of hockey to watch. I know they had a nice overtime win against Denver this weekend that I watched the the Twitter highlights. That's kind of the the extent I get to right now with with UND hockey, but.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, don't worry, they're the number one team in the country again. So. Yeah,
2: exactly. They're they're right where you'd expect them to be, but it's
1: always just seems to be kind of under the radar. They're talking about the East Coast teams, they're talking about the Gophers and NoDaC. Just every year, they're right there, which yeah. is why I don't have to say anything about them because you just you know where they're gonna be, you know where they're gonna be. But awesome, uh, I love a little hockey talk. No. You, you always got to mix it in from time to time. Sure. And back to the athletic training side of things, and you may have already mentioned it earlier, but. When did you really first realize you wanted to get into uh, this occupation, being an athletic trainer? Did you get injured, and you're like, "Whoa, I'm interested in how they, you know, treated my leg or whatever it may be," and I wanted to get into this?
2: Sure, there's a couple things really. Um, first of all, my love of sports. I really did, you know, enjoy all sports growing up. You know, again, I feel blessed that I grew up in a small town where you could be on every team, and there wasn't getting cut and things like that and and there really wasn't even the thought back then about being focused on one sport it was very rare you played everything you rolled in and in fact you were kind of shunned by your coaches if you didn't run track because they were like no you're running track to get ready for basketball or to get ready for football they kind of pushed you pushed you that way but um i had some really great teachers i had my you know my um um my biology and anatomy teacher in high school Darryl Young he was just uh he was our athletic director of our school just a great human being really took the time and and to really get to know all of his students and really teach very well and i think he he really encouraged um you know things like going on to college and figuring out what you wanted to do and all those things early so that was a big thing he was a great um uh, um instructor especially you know someone that i Felt like I knew personally and could go have great conversations with from the time I just forever from the time I remember. And then um, another unique thing about being from a small town is you have volunteer ambulance departments. So I don't know if you guys get what this is. So um, you don't really have an ambulance in your town. You have an ambulance as far as a vehicle. Oh, So you, 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 you have an ambulance. You're a popular guy. Yeah, I know. We, we got callers I know. coming in here. <laughs> I know. I, you know hold, hold, hold the callers to the end of the podcast, please. So, um, so it's really unique. In a small town, the, the fire department and the ambulance is all volunteer. And, you know, you have your fire station with the ambulance and the fire, but nobody's there staffing it. It's there. So when something would happen, like a 911 or an emergency type thing, everyone in the town who wanted to be a part of it would have pagers. And you would be put on, you would be put on call and you would go get trained and things like that. And my dad was involved with that. So, so I knew from a young age, this is before cell phones, before all that, where we had a special, we had like, it's almost like a bat phone. We had a red phone in the house and then it progressed to a pager and then it was a walkie talkie and then it eventually turned into a cell phone, a bag cell phone. And when you were on call, you were not allowed to leave, you know, the vicinity of that town during that weekend or that week when you were on call. So I remember that, and I remember the training and the things like that that my, that my dad had to do and his friends and things. and we would do things like they would go out and stage a mock car accident, and they'd look for victims and stuff like that, and they'd put them in there, and, and they'd come out and use the jaws of life and stuff and pull you out. Right. And, and I'd always get, get, you know volunteer for those type of things. Yeah. So I saw the importance um, of a community and helping. And really being involved with with medicine, especially if you don't have like a doctor or that my town didn't have a hospital and didn't have those type of things. So um, I really saw the importance of that and how people helped each other and, you know, how you could really learn some basic first aid and some basic skills and really help. So I think that played a big part of it as well. So interested in sports, interested in the science, saw the medical piece. I got to UND. I was thinking, oh, should I go into physical therapy? you know, things like that. So I looked into the, into the athletic training programs. I didn't know too much about it. I looked in the physical therapy program. I looked into those things and, you know, I really enjoyed working with athletes. I really did. Athletes are a unique group. They, you know, want to get better. They obviously, um, really work hard and, and push and do all those things that I think are important as a part of rehab and healing. They ask good questions. Um, I worked, um, some volunteer time with like, you know, um, cardiac rehab and stroke, you know, things like that. And that just really didn't click with me as much as working with athletes. And obviously game day is a blast and getting to know them. And I joke that I went to college in the fall of 92 and haven't left. You know, I still live semester by semester. When's spring break? When's fall break? When You know, you just kind of get into that routine of really liking working in that environment. So it kind of clicked. I mean, it seems perfect. You're, You're doing what you love to do while doing it around
1: things that you'd love to be around, you know, which is sports and always has been uh, throughout your life. So that's that's awesome. Yeah,
0: so you served, like you mentioned earlier, you served as the athletic trainer, uh, the head athletic trainer since 1999, right when Concordia went, uh, transferred to Division Two. So in your, you know, thinking back to your early days here, how have athletics in general evolved on Concordia's campus
2: and how did you kind of evolve with it? it's it's night and day difference I know you've probably talked to other people who've sat in this with you know you know baseball coaches like lunch or or cross-country coaches like jb brady start people who have been here for you know 15 plus years it's a night and day difference I mean um the kids have always been great from the day one I started and we didn't win many games and a few sports you know and the coaches worked hard and did things but boy once we established ourselves as the division two school in the twin cities things kind of slowly gain this momentum and then something good would happen and then we'd have a little bit of success in one sport i know you know women's basketball had some early success volleyball had some early success football football then baseball then it just kind of steamrolled and then you know you just see this and you go from never seeing anyone in the whole twin cities knowing what concordia is or where concordia is to all of a sudden saying oh where is concordia university yeah i heard about that i saw you guys i saw your team at this restaurant i saw these people in the airport then all of a sudden you start seeing you know, more and more things in the paper. You see Patrick Royce at a game. You see these things where, you know, Sid Hartman mentions Brady Starkey in a column. You slowly see some of these things start spinning. And then it just, it just transforms overnight. We build a stadium, you know, we, we improve this, we add a sport, we, you know, get a national championship. And then all of a sudden you start hearing all the D3s getting cranky. Oh, Concordia. But, yeah, they're jealous, you know. I mean, because, you know, St. John's would kick our butt every time they'd play us back when we were in A.I. And now they wouldn't dare to play us because they know that, yeah, sure, they've got records and championships, but they're not going to want to play with 340-pound old linemen who are going to uh-huh. run them all over the field, you know. And I know you guys playing baseball know the same thing where you used to scrimmage a, a Hamlin once in a while or scrimmages, but they don't want scrimmage anymore because... You know, you guys are sending people to major leagues and you guys have, you know, a deep lineup and all those things. And and it's different. It's just totally different night and day. And, you know, the quality of the people have stayed the same. You know, the leadership on campus with changing presidents and changing athletic directors. Everyone's really been focused at trying to maintain our, our, our identity as this great school in the Twin Cities and having a Christian background and doing things the right way. But, boy, we're going to be competitive. We are really going to push the envelope and we're going to recruit and we're going to work hard and we're going to keep some of these kids here and then we're going to go out and, and look all over the country and bring some kids in that other programs have missed and mesh them in here and have this cool diversity and unique atmosphere. And, sure, we may not have some of the facilities that maybe Mankato has or things like that, but, boy, we've got a lot. You know, we've, we've got a lot of things going for us. We've got a lot of, of choices for majors. We've got great places to, to, to hang out and do things in the twin cities and we win and we get people um, their degrees and we, we do all the things right. And it's, it's just great. And I, I don't even know if there's like one moment I can say that this is really when I noticed things change. Maybe it was first volleyball national title or something like that. Or, you know, maybe it's, you know, some of these big, important, you know, wins that I can think of, of, you know, football beating Winona for the first time, or, you know, I, I have some memories that I really cherish. But, um, you know, there's just so much and there's so many people working really hard to try to keep our enrollment up and try to make sure our budgets increase and our scholarships increase and all those things. And so there's a lot of people really working to make that transition really successful. And, and I'm just glad to be part of it because I've seen my staff change as well. You know, I started with just myself and a couple student helpers to myself and a couple graduate assistants to then all of a sudden having a couple full-time staff to now I'm up to, you know, me, I have, I have. There's four time four full time athletic trainers and a couple graduate assistants, and we're able to assign those to different teams to the person's strength, so that I know and I don't have to worry when I leave here at night that hey, you know what some of these other teams are getting for coverage, how their rehabs are going, you know what what how some, a team is being taken care of on the road, all of those things. I know that it's being done the right way, and that the student athletes are having a great experience. And and it took time. It did. It took a lot of time. I, it's been 20 years, and we're still pushing and pushing. And I, I really am, um, you know, you're never satisfied, just like a coach would never be satisfied with having the perfect roster or, you know, scoring more points or, you know, throwing more strikes or whatever they're trying to do. You know, you're know, you still trying to develop your staff all the time and trying to get them to all work together in the best possible way. And, and you know, the pandemic and COVID's but a great example of this. It's outside of all of our skill sets. But we all came together, you know, 4 a.m. every morning in the Gengelhoff Center all summer long, screening people, learning about COVID, figuring things out, trying to decide how we can do things, how we can get kids in the weight room, how we can practice, how we can do things safely, and then being able to adapt along the way when things change. And I think that that's something athletic trainers have always been good at. You know, we have to go into a game thinking, okay, this is our lineup, this is who we're playing. All of a sudden, someone's got a sore arm. Something's different. You know, what can I do to get them either back in the game, or are we going to have to go to their backup? You know, athletic trainers are pretty good at adapting in general on the fly, and I think that you know, um, you know, this year has really shown that. And my and I think my staff has, has done a great job with everything. So, kind of went off track there a little bit, but you know, you can tell I'm passionate about that question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's why we're
1: just sitting here and listening to
0: all of it. We're soaking this all up. Exactly. Uh, so, kind of same time frame. Uh, similar question, but now looking at the athletic training industry, uh, how have since nineteen ninety since you've been here, how has that kind of slowly changed from you know, treatment, prevention, recovery? And our you know, our athletes nowadays from maybe when you started demanding more of the recovery, demanding a little bit more for their bodies as it seems, you know, athletes just seem to be playing longer and longer and being healthier and healthier. Uh, how has that changed from
2: your, your early days? You know, um, medicine always evolves. You know, science is always changing. There's always research being done. Um, so we're always looking at what's, what's successful at the higher levels, what the new research is, how we can can incorporate those things. And then also, we also have to balance that with the fact that we have the prized patient. We have the college athlete. Everybody wants to work with college athletes. So because... You know it's just a fun group to work with. So we have to kind of figure out what's the best mix. How do we take the science? How do we work with our team physicians? How do we go and do continuing education? Go to conferences, learn new things, and then apply it for what's going to work best with us. Because obviously, a division two school, you do have budget limitations. You do have some staffing limitations. I can't bring in outside specialists and things like that. Like they maybe can do with the Vikings and stuff like that. So we have to fill those holes. We have to fill those voids. Um, athletes you know are a little bit impatient you know that's the the this generation they go on instagram and they see this being done and they don't understand that you know it's not the norma tech that's on lebron's legs that makes him good <laughs> it's you know the fact that he's put in a lot of time and right. a lot of work now that might help him recover a little bit but is that the best that's not going to help somebody at you know when a 19 year old needs to still go put up shots you know they need to focus a little bit differently on that recovery stuff but as far as the rehab goes, we love to learn new things. You know, there are a lot of new information out there. There's a lot of of new disciplines, you know, everything from different type of, of soft tissue work to different rehab to, you know, different training programs and, and emphasizing the importance of the basics still, you know, the sleep, the nutrition, you know, um, taking care of your body, all of those things um, are all important. But Recovery science is interesting, right? Because it's hard to do research on recovery science. Is this truly what's making that person better? But we still have to, to to evaluate all of those things over and over again and say, okay, is this something that's worthwhile for my team to do? And we do try those things out to see if if this is going to be something that's really going to help. And um, it's very random sometimes as well because what you hear and what you see and then when you apply it may not always um, um, link up because there is a lot of people out there who are trying to to sell the next thing or try to right. try try to do something different and and then a lot of things athletes don't realize is sometimes professional athletes they get paid to promote things <laughs> and that's no a little doubt. different so no when they're seeing somebody use a specific tool or a specific drink or something like that. There sometimes is is some science behind it, but sometimes it's money. You know, there, there there's a little marketing going on as well. So, oh, some sure. of those
0: those make you roll your eyes at times when you see, you know, not even necessarily a recovery drink, but the workouts some guys do.
2: Do you say like, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, no, it it, it <laughs> does because Instagram and social media has changed a lot of that because people can can really show like a seven second snippet of a workout and make it seem like that's the thing that's that's what's going to get me better in which it could but you still got to focus on basics you still have to have fundamentals you still have to really focus on 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 what you know works and then yes you can learn and add some of that other things but it does make you roll your eyes once in a while when you see somebody who's more proud to walk around with a massage stick or a foam roller on their backpack <laughs> right. than actually using it, <laughs> you, you know, it's a status symbol sometimes yeah, to, to, right. to, to walk around with, with, <laughs> right. with some rehab tool, you know, than and the Theraguns and all that. There's good, it's, it's a great tool, but you know, there's a lot of other things that you can do as well. So. Yeah. Just, you know, the, the normal stretch here and yeah, there, yeah. right. Yep. <laughs> that goes
1: a long way as well. People have been doing that for a long time. Yep. Yep. Well, and how often do you see our, student-athletes here or anywhere trying out some of those new things and it makes you roll your eyes, or, or do they know better by now?
2: No, I know. You know, everyone's looking for, for something that's going to give them an edge, right? But you do just have to go back to good old classic education and say, listen to your coaches, listen to the strength coaches, get in the weight room. Nothing, nothing changes, you know, you, you know, good old hard work, you know, and it's a lot of times it's hard to, hard to explain to them that it's the things you do when no one's watching, that's really important. It's not the stuff that people are, you know, the quick little blip or the watch or the the new Snapchat or whatever. It's what's what you're doing behind the scenes. Exactly. The good old hard work behind the scenes is usually what is working. No one's seeing what time that, that athlete got up in the morning and how much time they, you know, put in in the weight room and how much dedication and repetitions that they've done and the fact that they were disciplined enough to go to bed at nine o'clock after having a good healthy meal and getting some sleep and, you know, doing those things. So, yeah, what
1: you what you do in the dark helps you get it done when the, when the lights turn on yep. on yep. the field, no doubt. Uh,
0: so jumping in uh, to something, I'm sure you're you're getting kind of sick of here, and it seems like it's just been on replay for the last three, four, five months. But how does a Division two school like Concordia or an NSIC school? What are really the COVID protocols, the testing, the
2: quarantine, return to play? What does that look like on a daily basis? Uh, It changes a lot. But, you know, what we do, first of all, is we look at the guidance from the CDC and the Minnesota Department of Health. That's our backbone. They give us uh, uh, um, this overall rules and, and guidelines that we look at. Along with that, we look at what our conference is doing and what the NCAA is doing. And there's a group called the Sports Science Institute within the NCAA that goes through sport by sport, makes recommendations, things things like that. Now they're changing all the time. You know, The CDC and the MDH changed the quarantine rules you know, just this week. So you know, that's a great example of 14 days, went to seven days with a test on day five. You know, I can get into specifics, but the, the, the big thing that we do is we have to look at how can we allow our athletes a normal experience with practice, with training, but have them be safe. Focus on safety first, you know, so we oftentimes are the bad guys who are saying, put on your mask, you know, space out, you know, do all those things. I know our, our strength coaches are really good at that, about cleaning and spacing. And it's just a continual overload for these athletes of what to do, how to. And, and I know that they kind of get fatigued. We all get fatigued with COVID. We all get fatigued with a lot of monotony in our life. You know, I mean, you know, people really get fed up with having to be told and limited, and if it's not the experience they expected to have in college or their first year or their second year or their senior year, you know, um, we really have to take that into account, but we still have to focus on the safety. And so we really have focused on, first of all, what the rules are, how we can incorporate some of the advantages that we have being a small university. Um, I feel we have a big advantage in the fact that we are a small university in a large metropolitan area because we are kind of a bubble of our own not perfect, but a bubble of our own. And I think that because we are in a major metropolitan area, we don't see the spikes and the ups and downs and things like that when it comes to the positive rates and things we kind of are more of a slow burn or, you know, we do see things go up and things go down, but we don't see the dramatic things where we have to worry about making a big decision like shutting this down or shutting that down. Have we had to do that? Sure. You know, we we do contact tracing and we see when there's a positive case, who's affected, who needs to be tested, who needs to be quarantined. We follow those protocols as best we can over and over again. But we also have um, a, just a huge, luck, a big luxury of living in the Twin Cities where we have an unbelievable medical community. We have major hospitals and clinics and labs. And, and that's just been, been evident over and over again during this pandemic. You know, when we need testing, we do our work, we do our research, we find a lab, they come in, they teach us. You know, we've been doing testing on campus, athletic trainers, you know, all semester. They give us the supplies, they trained us how to do them. We 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 collect the sample, we send them to the lab, we get our results. We've been doing that. And then we adapt and now we have machines where we can do the antigen testing ourselves. You know, and then we partner with groups like HIV or HCMC and we can have them help us out with giving us supplies and being the lab while we test. So we have a lot of opportunities and I feel bad for some of my colleagues in Crookston or Bemidji or Wayne where they're isolated they don't have a big healthcare infrastructure around them right so you know they have to go with what their hospital says they have to follow that and if they are limited in supplies or stock or testing then they really have to work hard we're pretty blessed that we have that and so we've really utilized that from the beginning and then we've really tried to apply that uh, um with situations of Unfortunately, you have to make some priorities of in-season sports, sports that still have a season right now, sports that have more contact. That's a big thing that a lot of people don't understand is, well, why does this sport do that? Well, we've gone through and looked at the contact rates and see which sports are in closer proximity to each other. And then we add things like how long the sport is, are they indoors or outdoors, all of those type of things. Because some people say, well, why is my kid playing youth baseball this summer, but we can't be playing well, there right. are there are different. There's science behind that. People are making um, really tough decisions over and over again about who's allowed to do what, and 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 how we can incorporate an acceptable amount of risk by testing or by masking or you know by by putting other steps in place. So it's difficult. It, it it's really difficult. And I really um, I feel for the athletes who wanted a normal experience, and they're just not getting that right now. My you know, my words of to, to them are just be patient. You know, things are getting better. Things will get better. This isn't the, the year that any of us expected. And um, as long as we can come out with this with everyone being healthy... And, and no one having any long-term you know, um, lung issue or cardiac issue, then, then we're successful. You know, we'll get games in. We'll get practices in. We'll do that. And if we don't do that, we'll give you a redshirt year and allow you to come back next year. And, and again, that may put a pause on you graduating or finishing an internship or doing something like that. But at least the NCAA and Concordia and our athletic department and our conference have come up with plans that, that will allow you to have that experience, even if it's delayed a little bit. Well, I, I was going to
1: throw this out here before we ask our next question. Uh, just talking with some of the baseball players, uh, part of the program, they did tell our staff that for the most part, our fall practices did feel normal compared to years past. And that just goes to show how great of a job the athletic training staff has done um, and the athletic department and the university as a whole uh, have done to make, to, to give our student athletes um, still somewhat of a normal experience while they're at practice. I know it might be different for other, uh, programs I don't know but for the most part it seems like you guys did a heck of a job to still make it seem like it's was a normal fall fall ball this year so thank you
2: for that yeah no no and it's it takes everybody I have a great staff you know um you mentioned baseball Joe Hofer I have a great athletic trainer who works with them. I have Jess Luby who works uh, um with with my staff I have with with football and lacrosse you know I have Tim Grieve and then I ha- have who works with basketball and so you know I just have a great team and we all work together so um us all working and and putting the time in to, to, to make this atmosphere, to make, you know, the experience and atmosphere, uh, you know, as productive as possible because it wasn't the same, right? I mean, you couldn't have a little bit of outside competition and things like that that you normally would, but working with the coaches, working with everybody coming up with a plan so that we could still get better. We could still allow people um, to practice. And that's, again, it's so, so important.
1: When did you start thinking about, putting a plan in place like obviously going back to spring they had to cancel those seasons right they had to cancel all spring sports for the rest of the year after those were canceled were you guys already thinking about oh what we're going to do for next year or did it take a little time did it go into the summer time then you started to realize okay now we got to buckle down here and get to work
2: yeah we we came together and came up with a plan for June 1 I think that was the big thing because that's um traditionally when we start our summer workouts and we knew that the spring sports were shut down um but we knew okay let's see if we can, you know, um, um, get everything ready so that we can go into a good off-season training program so these teams can work with Coach Overland over in the weight room so they can do the things that they need to do to get stronger, to get faster, to get bigger, to to heal. So that was when we first came up with the plan was trying to get ready for June. And we were one of the first teams in our entire conference to actually get into the weight room. And we take pride in that, that, you know, we're going to push and we're going to be safe, but we are going to allow kids opportunities. Um, We have had no problems with spread in the weight room things like that that doesn't happen you know obviously if you have spread or you have a positive case turning into a quarantine the majority of that all occurs you know from living arrangements and social situations and people hanging out together outside of of the practice field um and and that makes it difficult because people think well practice is safe so we can't do this and we but you have to realize that those two things go hand in hand, right? You're only as strong as your weakest link. And if you're going out and doing social things or if it's just a bummer thing that you have five people living in a house and one person got it from work or from a family member or something like that, then we do have to shut down that whole house. So, um, it you know, it's tough. But um, we started trying to get ready for June. We, you know, worked really hard this summer to, to really apply what we had called a tier system, tier one, tier two, tier three, depending on, if you were positive, or close contract, or or um, on, the, on the edge of that. And we tried to get people in the weight room as much as possible, allow individual workouts, things like that. Um, and then as the summer, as the um, pandemic progressed, we pushed until they shut us down again. And then once that happened, then we started to reboot, thinking about, OK, are we bringing people back to campus? If we bring people back to campus, then they made that decision that, yes, we're going to start campus. Then we knew that, hey, if we have athletes on campus, we have to have something for them to do. We have to establish weight rooms. We have to establish guidelines. And then the, then the NCAA came in with the Sports Science Institute talking about, you know, how high of risk each sport is, what's allowable. Then they came into the view of, okay, if your sport is going to practice, then we have to surveillance test, which means, you know, most of the time when we think of testing, we think of symptomatic testing. You only get tested if you're sick or if you were around someone close. Well, the NCAA looked at what we call surveillance testing, where we don't necessarily look at the symptomatic people, but we take your entire team or a percentage of your team and we test them every so often, much like a drug test or something like that, where we just pick a random grouping out of your roster. And that allows us to feel comfortable enough to allow them to practice. So we know that, hey, if there would be an outbreak, something like that, we have a decent chance of containing it or catching it early with a surveillance test. So we started doing that with things like the contact sports, football, volleyball, soccer, things like that. We allowed our non-contact sports like cross-country, baseball, softball to work outside, to space out, like you said, have a, have a, a, a normal practice experience. Um, and we, we did that for as long as we could, you know, and we got through a lot of good practices this, this fall. Obviously, football and the fall sports didn't have a normal season. They didn't get to play games and do things like that, but they still still got to know their teammates got to meet with their coaches, got to learn their position a little bit. We had a scrimmage, you know, much like we would do in the spring. We had a scrimmage, a gold um, versus Navy scrimmage. Right. Um, We allowed to do that. And then, unfortunately, we did have to shut that down again. But we were able to learn from that along the way and come up with a better plan so that we can get ready for basketball and indoor track and swimming, some of our winter sports that are going on right now. So at the end of the day...
0: For your staff, on a day-to-day basis, what's the biggest headache that you didn't really? Obviously, there's tons of things that you didn't have to worry about before, but is there one outlier where it's like,
2: I really hate doing this every <laughs> single day? Um, it's not hate; it's just different. You know, it's just not what you normally do. Like, like, um, you know, we we test in the morning. We, we're there early three times a week, and we test. We tested, you know, 140 athletes on Monday morning. You know, um, so you know, we learn a lot about testing. So it's not about a hate thing about doing that, but there's a lot of paperwork and background stuff, just like if you would go to a typical doctor's office and have to do labs and yeah. and things like that. So, you know, there's just a lot of things because the MDH and the Department of Health, and we have to report and we have to make sure every little piece of paperwork is is correct so that if there would be a positive case, we have the documenting background on that so there's a lot of that where it's just a little bit different than our normal day of getting ready for practice, doing treatment, doing that stuff. Um you know, we still do our rehabs, we do them a little bit differently, we may space them out, we may um we we changed up the the flow in the training room as far as entrance and exit, number of tables, how many people we see. You know, it's more appointment based than it was just hey, stop in the training room that you guys may have been used to. Um so you know that's a little bit. Infor- I think the biggest thing you miss is you just miss the competition because you're doing all the work anyways, but you don't get the fun at the end of the day where you get to go watch right. the game. You don't get to to you know yeah sure I can have a Saturday off now, but boy I I would rather be in Crookston at a football game. You know getting ready for that. You know even if it does involve a five six hour bus ride. You know you you don't have that that benefit, and I think that's the thing you miss the most is just having that reward at the end of the day for all the hard work that you do because athletic trainers and coaches and athletic department staff they' we're used to long hours we're used to hard work we're used to that behind the scenes stuff where you know um we're not not necessarily getting the credit for it that's fine, but it's it is nice to have that reward at the end of the day, and I know even the sports information staff they might not like to have to do write ups all the time on a sport you know at two a m after but you know it's a reward it's a reward that you can talk about the, the accomplishments of your athletes. And right now, we just really aren't celebrating how, how great these athletes are in the same way. Right. You know, no one's really seeing, you know, what someone's doing on the field and, and really talking about it in the same way, which is unfortunate, but I know we'll get through it. I know that, that, that there will be an end to this, whether it's just the time and the process and the vaccine and all the different things that we're throwing at it. Um, we'll get through it, but um, that's probably the thing that's most disappointing you know, is that you just don't get that reward at the end of the day and you can't brag about your athletes or really see the, hey, look who just returned from this ankle injury or returned from this shoulder problem, and now look what they're doing. You know, no one's really seeing that. Sure.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting just learning the, the day-to-day and what goes on with the COVID scene. But uh, kind of transitioning into our last uh, couple questions here, uh, you mentioned you had a huge passion in teaching. Uh, what classes are you currently teaching? I know uh, I took a couple classes with you, just basic athletic training, but what classes are you teaching um, currently? And,
2: and I mean, what about it do you just love? You know, I came from a family of teachers. You know, that's primarily a, a lot of background. My my, um, my mom was an instructor. My wife was an instructor before she was a high school counselor. You know, um, a lot of teaching and things like that with all my aunts and uncles. So that's something that it's just normal for me to 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 watch somebody prepare a class, you know, and to, to get ready and, and talk and then do the feedback and talk about, about how someone's changing. But right now I'm teaching, um, it's called um, KHS... Um, One ten it 's health science it 's a basic gen ed health class um we've really modified it in the last couple of years, and this year um is incredibly important because a lot of what we talked about was preparing for a pandemic in general, keeping your your general health up, watching for comorbidities. you know really, what can I do now to prevent when something bad happens and guess what something bad's happening, so right. we really spend a lot of time in the past talking about things like viruses and vaccines and and how to take care of yourself and and now that we can apply that. So that's what we're doing in, in, in our health class that I teach right now. Um, I've taught that class, you know, for 20 years. It's, it's, it's evolved and changed. It started out kind of as a hybrid FIED health class. And now it's about science and information and research because fake news and, and research and finding good sources and all those things are really important now more than ever. So we really focus on that in trying to, to demonstrate how real-life situations you're going through today are so important in making good decisions and, and that. so And that's great. And I get to interact with general students. That's you know not just for athletes. That's everyone on campus can sign up for that class. There's a lot of different sections. So I really enjoy that. I get to know a lot about the different athletes, or the different students besides just the athletes. Um, and then I teach um, KHS 472, which is Prevention and Care of Athletic Injuries. And that class is really unique because a lot of people who take that are either interested in coaching Maybe they're interested in the health field, like physical therapy or athletic training. I have a lot of people who are in the orthotics and prosthetics major that will come and take that class because they're interested in learning more about injuries and working with athletes when it comes to prosthetics and bracing and all those things. So that's a really um, um, fun class too because I can divide that class up and talk about general medical topics. I can talk about injuries. We can talk about anatomy. We can kind of merge together a lot of what is important for someone to know if they're going to do that first step in taking care of someone who is injured, um, in the spring I'll teach another class, an advanced athletic training class, where we'll look more at rehab and 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 evaluation of orthopedic injuries. Um, that's another great class. I've taught other classes on campus as well, you know, um, but those are the primary ones I'm teaching right now. Well, it's got to be
1: fun. Um, well, I shouldn't say fun, but like you were saying, it's got to be interesting now, living in a real world pandemic talking about this with your, with your students on a day-to-day basis. It's got to be um, interesting now having a hands-on uh, issue to discuss every day.
2: Yeah, yeah. and, and, and they're, they, they're bought in. They understand. Um, I think, again, they realize the importance of things like general health and mental health and all these things that we have talked about over and over again and how now it affects you it affects you instead of just reading about it in a book right now, you know, because you're the one stressed out all the time or your aunt is sick or, you know, someone that you know has an underlying condition and them getting COVID is a lot more serious than if a healthy 21 year old gets COVID. So it really does apply, apply that information to them directly. And, and I think that that's, that's good. I mean, obviously we, we, are learning a lot about ourselves right? during a pandemic, about, about our qualities that we like and that we don't like, about how much control we have in the world and what, what's important to us. And I think that one thing that I think we can take out, out of that is making sure our general health is good, making sure that we protect ourselves and take care of ourselves day to day, really watch that, watch our general health, so that when something does come up, whether it's a pandemic now or high blood pressure or cancer or something else that could affect you later, how you can have the, the the most control over that, because we can't control everything, right? We can't control these pandemics, we can't control if you wake up with a lump or a, something or not feeling well, some people get sick, that happens. so how can we prevent those you know th- those things from happening or overcome them if they do happen to us? No doubt, and
1: I might be stealing Andrew's question here, but uh, I was interested in hearing what you'd have to say. Did you always want to get into college athletics? Or would you take a step up to the next level?
2: You know, I've always college athletics was kind of my goal. From I, I was, if my my wall in my bedroom growing up was every Michael Jordan poster you could <laughs> ever. I mean, I would watch WGN until you know. You know, I, that was one of the. I didn't get I had like twelve stations, but WGN was one of them. <laughs> so I watched every Chicago Bulls game that you could possibly watch, and then you know TBS when they played the Hawks. I guess was about the only other time you turned it, but um. I really wanted to be the athletic trainer for North Carolina. That was like that <laughs> was my go. dream from when I was like, you know, if I was going to work with a team, it was I wanted to wear Carolina blue and that was what I wanted. You know, even James Worthy and Perkins and all those guys when Jordan was still young, you know, that was the early 80s. My brother was a Syracuse guy and a Georgetown guy and I was a North Carolina guy and we fought over that all the time on our nerf hoop who which team was better and mm-hmm. who was Patrick Ewing and who was james <laughs> worthy you know that was that was our deal and um that was kind of what I wanted was to to, to work out of that division one I. I always thought division one men's basketball would be the spot, and then you know I got to luckily through through um People I worked with at University of North Dakota, things like that. I worked with the Gophers. I got to work at Kansas State. I kind of saw a little bit behind the curtains of what that was like. And I realized, you know, the Division II athlete's a pretty special person. It's a great person to work with. They're still extremely athletic, um, but they're humble. They work hard, all those things. And I really enjoyed working in that environment. I, I reflected back at, at my time at, at, at North Dakota and then time at K-State, and then I got here and was very happy. I was very content with where I was, and I really enjoyed the fact that I could create something, that I could build. um, You know, you talk, coaches talk about building a program and building a culture and all those things, and I know that's cliched, but I really focused on the training room kind of in that same way. It's like, I'm going to build my team. I'm going to, you know, we may not win championships and have flags hung up, but I'm going to build my team. I'm going to build my facilities. I'm going to build what I think is gonna be the most successful athletic training program and be happy there and be content with that. And and you know, sure you look at, you know, getting a job over at the U or, you know, things like that. Um, but then you have kids and you have all those things and you're like, I don't know, professional sports, that's, you know, a different a different level as far as commitment and time commitment and things like that. And and you know, really enjoy the opportunities Concordia has given me to still be able to coach my kids' teams and do some of those things, have some freedom in the summer, be able to 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 I have two boys, you know, and I was been super involved in their sporting in their sporting lives. Um, growing up, I don't coach them anymore, but when they were younger, I did. Um, I really enjoyed that, and I think that you know that's kind of one of the great another great things about Concordia is they allow you that life balance for sure, where you know you can work a lot and be successful and things, but. You obviously um, still—it's important to take care of your family and be there and do all those type of things. So,
1: well, I know—I uh, think I can speak for Andrew on this as well. We're glad you ended up here and are, have still been here since 1999, and um, you know, couldn't be uh, more happy for you. And uh, we just want
2: to thank you for your for your time today, yeah. Ted. We appreciate it. No, this is great. I, I appreciate you. It's fun having being here and talking with you guys. I mean, these are discussions I have a lot with people, but. Um, it's it's going to be fun to see what the podcast has to say hopefully you know um, people listen and um you know keep keep being patient we'll get regular regular guests back on on soon right hopefully right. you know i mean you know we wouldn't want to see a series of behind the scenes behind the scenes <laughs> is good once in a while but <laughs> right. i think we need to get back to center court no pretty, doubt. pretty quick so hopefully that happens and we can um, um, move forward right so oh, absolutely right. that's what we're striving for
1: thank you All right, Golden Bear family, thank you for tuning in again to our CSP Bears podcast. That wraps up episode two. And remember, you can listen to and follow our podcast on the CSP Bears website, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio app, the list goes on. And we are also sponsored by Buzzsprout. So thanks again. Port and Shoddy are out. And stay golden, my friends.